it's not worth the paper that is printed on from a legal standpoint. Mm-hmm. But psychologically, yep. they might be more vested in your deals if they have that. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today, Theo Hicks. He's going to talk with us on this follow-along Friday episode, as he normally does. Theo, welcome. Thanks, Joe. And best ever listeners who are listening and not watching via Facebook Live, because by the way, we are doing Facebook Live on Mondays at 10.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We record the follow-along Friday episode on Mondays 10, 15 a.m. We also, for those of you who are listening but not seeing, we have Jack who is enthralled with our conversation. He is just snoozing away right now, 12 pounds of Yorkie hanging out with us too. So today our focus is going to be on answering questions that were asked by you and the rest of the best ever listeners about multifamily syndication, I believe. Most of the questions are about multifamily syndication. And these are commonly asked questions, I think. I don't think I've seen all of them. We're just going to roll and Theo's got the questions and he's going to fire away. The first question, we may have touched on this a few weeks ago, but we'll ask it again anyways. The exact question is, before an investor sends funds, what documentation do you use to secure the commitment from them? Depends on if you have a deal or not. If you do not have a deal and you do not have a blind pool set up, then they're not sending funds. You only send funds if you have the deal and the private placement memorandum, the operating agreement, the subscription agreement, and the investor qualifier done and ready for them to complete So that is the paperwork that is required. Those four things I just said, those are the four things required for the investor 
to invest in a deal. So again, the private placement memorandum, otherwise known as a PPM, the operating agreement, the subscription agreement, and the investor qualifier. And so you know, investor qualifier, the purpose of that is to simply qualify the investor as an accredited investor if you're only taking accredited investors. The subscription agreement simply states that they're subscribing to a certain amount of shares. So basically they're buying a certain amount of shares in the LLC that owns the property. The LLC operating agreement outlines the payment order, who gets paid when, the manager, the members, any type of legal language that needs to be in there, the bios for the people who are participating on the general partnership side, and a lot of other things. Then the PPM is basically a disclosure document that mentions all the different ways that the deal could go wrong. Mm -hmm. It's there to properly educate the investors about what could happen, and it's at least 100 pages long. And it has stuff that is very obscure, but it happened at some point in time in the history of these deals, so they had to include that one example. So those are the four documents. And if you don't have a deal, though, then you're not getting investor funds. And as far as a tip for if you don't have a deal yet, but you are having investor conversations, because I tend to think based on how this question was phrased, this individual was wondering, if I don't have a deal yet, but I want to get investors committed, what type of paperwork do they submit? Well, nothing that's binding. But what you could do, and I've seen this done, you could have a simple one-page commitment document that says, I'm committing to investing in X amount of dollars. And that would be signed by that investor. And it's not worth the paper that is printed on from a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. but psychologically, they might be more vested in your deals if they have that. Because ultimately, starting out, you might get a lot of yeses, but when you actually have a deal, then they might disappear because people were just being nice to you, or because then whenever they really go to invest their hard-earned money, they're like, well, do I want to invest in someone who's starting out? Mm Mm-hmm. You could also make sure that they're accredited because accredited investors are more likely to invest than non-accredited because they have more disposable income than unaccredited investors. So you could ask them, are you accredited? And make sure that you have that conversation prior to you presenting to them a deal because if they're not accredited, then unless you're doing, I think it's 506... C. I get them mixed up, 506B and 506C. And by the way, best ever listeners, go to multifamilysyndication.com and I interviewed someone who does securities and he outlined the difference between 506B and 506C. But unless you're doing one of those that takes non-accredited investors, then you need to stick to accredited. A very detailed answer. I like this question and I figured he was asking kind of what you spoke to last about what do I do if... I don't have a deal yet, but I want to make sure that people are at least partially committed. And I think we may have done a blog post on what you outlined before about kind of getting a, it's not really binding, there's no, it's not very legal, but 
if you kind of you know, psychologically if you give them to sign something, they're kind of that momentum's mm-hmm. kind of already rolling towards them. If there's a blog post. I'll link it to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember doing something on this before. I guess for you personally, when you raise money for your first deal, um, is that a technique that you use to get kind of commitments before you had the deal, or did you do something else? I did not do it the right way. I only had two or three investor conversations before I had a deal. Okay. What the right way would be is to have all those conversations prior to having a deal and talk about your business plan, your business model, and then go find a deal once you know that you have X amount of dollars committed or pledged. And if you have 30% more than what you need, that tends to be, based on my experience, where you'll still be okay because even if 30% of people back out or go away, you'll still have the other 100% that are there. So I didn't do it the right way, and now I do it the right way. Now I continue to have thought leadership stuff like this and build and continue to build a relationship and continue to have stuff that gets out there that positions us as thought leaders that way when deals roll around we've been having a conversation whether it's online or over the phone or through the earbuds on a podcast we've at least been in communication Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion and so it's kind of a smooth transition awesome and this question was asked i forgot to say where this is from this came from a comment on our last week's facebook live And so I guess for now, if you have any questions of what we're talking about right now, comment them on the Facebook Live and we'll answer those at the end of the video. And if they're listening on the podcast... Yeah, I always forget about people <laughs> listening on the podcast. They're, yeah, they're, the, they're our largest audience. Best ever listeners. And if you're listening on the podcast and you have questions, then you can do one of two things. You can email info at com, and Samantha will aggregate the questions and we'll make sure that we answer them or as many as we can mm-hmm. on future episodes or you can simply go to our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash meet joe fairless or just search joe fairless the brand page in facebook and comment on any one of these videos that theo and i are doing mm-hmm. and you can watch the video when you go to that page awesome i think that wraps up that question and thanks for reminding me that we're on a podcast (laughs) (laughs) so the the next question actually came from someone who emailed us and the question is you mentioned that you hire professionals to do your due diligence for you can you share what type of companies these are i remember the whole question and then do you just have a real estate focused cpa look at the numbers or are there companies that specialize in real estate due diligence to review Mm-hmm. All right. Huh. Let's see. I will be very specific about the companies that I use, and I want to make sure hire professionals, due diligence for you. Can you share what type of companies there are? Sure. Let me first share what type of companies we hire for our due diligence. Are you ready? <laughs> Here we go. We hire an environmental engineer. We hire a property inspector. We hire a financial auditor. We hire a unit walk team. Mm. If we do close, then the unit walk team is not compensated for that because they're the property management company. But if we don't close, then we pay them. We hire a surveyor. 
an appraiser and an attorney for the PPM and contract review. Those are all the team members. I just listed seven for you. And on average, you're going to spend, depends on the size of a deal, but we spend about 50000 on contractors and team members that I just mentioned, fifty to 60000 The majority of that goes to the legal costs. And one team member I do want to point out in particular is the financial auditor. That's critical. Having a group that does the audit of the profit and loss statement, otherwise known as the P&L or trailing 12 or T12, trailing 12 months, having them look at that and cross-reference that with the bank statements to make sure that the income is matching up and then cross-referencing that with a lease audit to make sure Mm -hmm. that the income that's coming in is what's contractually aligned with the leases that the residents actually have. So you want all three of those things to match up. Okay. The profits and loss statements, so the income coming in, the expenses going out, with the bank statements, with the leases. And that's an involved process. It's a lot of work. And you can either become an expert at it, or you can hire experts. We hire experts. We pay about $5,000 per property, and they do the audit. And they come back with a report that lists out any irregularities, anything that we need to pay attention to, and then we can go back and ask the seller whatever questions we have of him or her. So those are the team members. Whenever I first got going, I did it all on my own. In terms of inspections, I created my own spreadsheet, and it was a nightmare, quite frankly, because there were too many learning curves that yeah. were needing to take place in order to do it successfully. Certainly you can do it, but are you really successful? And Are you bringing your A game if you're just learning that particular skill set? Or if you don't have 10 plus years doing that particular skill set? So hire companies, regardless of if it's your first deal or 10th deal, when you're doing these multi-million dollar transactions, hire them and have them find opportunities for you to make more money because while we do pay $50,000-$75,000 per transaction with due diligence vendors, holy cow, we make so much more than that in the long run, whether it's because of cost savings or renegotiating purchase prices. We've renegotiated two purchase prices from the last five deals we've closed on and one was from 5.9 million to 5.65 million and another was $100,000 less 16 million to 15.9 million dollars and a large part of how we were able to negotiate down is from the financial audit so i went through very specifically all of the team members that we hire for due diligence and the cost range in total and then even gave you a cost amount for the financial mm-hmm. auditor $5,000. And these are all for larger multifamily deals. And if you're an investor of smaller deals, you probably would leave some of those out. Or would you recommend having, obviously you probably won't need a financial auditor if you're doing 
mm-hmm. a, a smaller deal. I guess which one of these would you leave out if you were investing in, let's say, anything below five units? I guess. Oh, anything below five units? Well, most of those depends on what your lender requires too. Oh, okay. Maybe not a property inspector, financial auditor. I wouldn't do a financial <laughs> auditor on something less than five units for sure. Unit walkthrough team, you can use your property manager yeah. for that. Surveyor, appraiser, and attorney, you'll have all of them okay. just to adhere to lender stuff and also to work through the contracts. Always have an attorney, regardless of the size of the property. Have an attorney to look through the contracts for sure. Okay. It seems like this person, because this person actually asked, do you have a real estate-focused CPA look at the numbers, or are there companies that specialize in real estate due diligence? So I guess this person was kind of implying that. Does a CPA involve one of these numbers? So it seems like they're not in that list. The CPA does something different. And this actually transitions into the next question that someone had, which is actually about accountants. Mm-hmm. And this next question was asking about being an accountant and what kind of questions to ask and what kind of qualities you look for mm-hmm. in an accountant, what the accountant is actually going to be doing for you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't posed as a question, but we actually have a list here of, I think, what your response was to that actual person. But what type of questions do you ask? What kind of information are you trying to extract during an interview of an accountant? First and foremost, make sure that the accountant works with clients who do what you do. Okay. And that's my answer. If we were raising chickens and we were chicken farmers, I'd want an accountant who knows how to work with other chicken farmers and the unique tax benefits to chicken farming. We need an accountant and ideally a bookkeeper if we don't want to have a heart attack Mm -hmm. in 10 years to already work with multifamily investors and in our case multifamily syndicators people who raise money and buy apartment communities so that's your first question to them do you work with other multifamily syndicators if they don't know what multifamily syndication is then that's the first indicator of them not working with other multifamily syndicators if they do then it's a much easier conversation great now you just need to get into some tactical admin stuff like how is your fee structured? Will there be a fee when I give you a call? Or can I just give you a quick call if it's every now and then and we're yeah. not going to be on the clock? Get an understanding of how they're going to charge you and does that include the tax returns at the end of the year or are those separate? Are you just charging me a retainer every month for conversations and maybe bookkeeping. Understand what exactly you're being charged for. You also want to know who will be your point person once you sign on the dotted line for an engagement with them. Are you going to be passed off to someone right out of college? Or are you going to be working directly with a partner? Or is there someone like a mid-level type of person who Mm -hmm. you're working with? When I first interviewed the accountant I have now, I actually, I actually found their team through a LinkedIn article, believe it or not. He had posted about the difference between being self-employed or 1099 contract labor and what type of tax filing requirements there are. And you can actually, let me see what episode that is. That's amazing. I got the list of, in addition to... <laughs> 
Ashton Thermal is a famous indicator. You've hit basically everything on this list so far. Really? I think the last two, are, you kind of hit on this. What are ideas they have for paying the least amount of taxes? And then, this is kind of similar to what you're doing right now, which is references. So make sure that they have some references that you, you can talk to to make sure that they're legit. Mm-hmm. While you're looking, you were mentioning what does and doesn't count as a fee. So you know, we asked them about their fee structure. Mm-hmm. What counts and... It doesn't count, and you, you said quick phone call. Other examples would be you know, actually filing the taxes, but I think you also said, and then bookkeeping. So do they charge extra for, yep. for bookkeeping, or is it like an all-inclusive deal? Because, again, that will be taken into account for how much you make that year. And yeah. Everybody find it? For some reason I can't find it, but anyway, I interviewed this gentleman, Randy Coven, and I now work with their team, and... The reason why I went with them is because they work with the largest apartment owner in our area. So if they work with the largest apartment owner in our area, they certainly can work with me because I'm not the largest in our area. Because of that, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go with them. They already know the types of tax deductions I can take. They already know my business model. I'm not having to educate them about the business model. Now... If the answer is no, so going back to the very intro question, if the answer is no, they don't work with other apartment owners, it's not necessarily a deal breaker, but frankly, I'd go find someone who does already have that experience because you you don't want them learning on your dime. That's to stumble across a LinkedIn article to find your CPA. This might be a no-brainer question, but I just kind of think of the person that's the best accountant in the area are they willing to, to pick up someone that you know, is doing their first deal? Or would you say maybe you get a deal under your belt first before you try reaching out to the best of the best? Or just, just try anyways? Hire the best of the best right out of the gate. Okay. From an accounting standpoint, other things you might not be able to swing it financially. But from an accounting standpoint, the best of the best is probably going to be about the same cost. Maybe a little bit more than others, but it's going to be a nominal difference. Okay, so that's an inclusive thing where they take on only a couple of clients. No, that like- I haven't come across that. They want clients. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yep. Those were the three questions I have here, but I saw that you got a couple more questions that yeah, came in. Yeah, we had some more questions come in, four questions. I haven't read them. I'm just reading them right now. What are the high-level steps I should be aware of for a syndicated deal. Mm. Well, you first build anticipation by Mm. having a thought leadership platform and talking to potential investors about what you got going on and what you're doing. Once you build anticipation and create that thought leadership platform, and by the way, a thought leadership platform can be a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, or in-person regularly scheduled events. Mm -hmm. Once you have that established, then you see how much in total money that you've got pledged. And you can document all this on your investor raising money tracker that we provide to you for free. Just go to info at joefairless.com and it's the same exact money raising tracker that I use. Mm -hmm. And we continually enhance it. Theo came over last week on Friday and we talked about the enhancements to the money raising tracker that we're making. So we constantly update as I enhance it for my own purposes. We then enhance it for everyone else. So info at Joe Fairless and you can get that for free. Just ask for the money raising tracker. Well, once you have 
identify that you have enough money for your deal and this is what a lot of people don't talk about and you have someone who will sign on the loan with you who can get mm-hmm. approved for the mortgage because you're going to need a net worth of about equal it depends on the lender but of about equal to the total loan amount and as far as liquidity goes you will likely need nine months of principal and interest payments after closing in your bank account Mm. to get approved so if you don't have that already then you're going to need to have someone to sign on that and we've already done an episode on how sponsors are compensated you can look back in our videos for how you can compensate someone who is signing on the loan with you but assuming you have the money and someone to sign on a loan with you if you don't have the net worth and liquidity then you go find the deal once you find the deal then you get a securities attorney there are some I recommend. You can email me, info at joefairless.com, and Samantha will get those recommendations to you. Once you have a securities attorney, then you get the legal documents drafted, which we talked about already, the four mm-hmm. types of legal yep. documents that you'll need. Then you raise the money and you do due diligence, get the debt financing aligned, and then close the deal. That's really it. Rinse and repeat. And you said high level, so that's why I gave you high level. We just got a question got come a question. in. Rochelle <laughs> says, would you need a financial auditor for a building being converted from office space to residential? Yeah. If you're buying the property based on the finances of how the property currently performs then yes. In your case, you're converting it. So what I would do is I would identify what are the income streams post-conversion that you will be depending on in your pro forma. If the post-income streams are at all overlap with the current income streams, then I would do verification. If you're basically just swapping one business model and putting in a different business model and there's no overlap, then no. I don't think so because a financial auditor is only going to tell you what the office space is currently bringing in, but you don't care because you're doing residential. So only if there's overlap and you're counting on that overlap to make sure that that money that they are saying coming in is coming in. But if there's no overlap at all, and you're making apples and oranges, then there's no reason to have a financial auditor. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Rochelle. Number two, can you describe any top lessons learned or best practices as I start on a deal syndication? Well, you should surround yourself with the right professionals. You'll get eaten alive if you try to do everything and be an expert at everything. Mm -hmm. It's stupid to do that. Be smart. Bring in the right professionals to help you in the areas that you don't have a lot of experience in. And we went through the team members already. Mm -hmm. You should also have a consultant, whether you are paying them or not paying them. You need to have someone who's been there, done that, currently doing it, to help guide you through the process. 
because if you don't, then you're going to make mistakes that are going to be costly and hopefully not too costly, but they could be. It could be multi-million dollar mistakes. Mm-hmm. How you can find someone who is, from a monetary standpoint, free, you can talk to people in your area who are doing multifamily syndication and who have need for someone to help them in fill in the blank. So whether it's looking at deals, finding deals, bringing in investor dollars, whatever. That's one way. And then the other way is find someone who you compensate. And there's ways to do that too. Make sure that the people who you pay to consult with you on the deals are people who are currently doing deals. That's really important. They're not just talking about Mm -hmm. it. They're not just writing about it. They are actually doing deals. Ask them, how many deals did you close on last year? How many deals are you planning on closing on this year? And get specifics because you don't want people who are talking based on theory. You want people who are actually doing deals. Number three, any pitfalls I should be on the lookout for? It's a bad question. (laughs) It's too generic. I think I've already answered the stuff in previous questions. Number four, what team members do you recommend for this type of deal? We've already talked about that on this episode, right? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Cool. Any other questions? We good? Those were the last questions. We had one other thing that we mentioned. We might potentially want to talk about Derek's meetup or do you want to not talk about that today? Well, we already teased it. So really quick, <laughs> we did tease re- it. really quick, <laughs> props to Jared Sturm for hosting his first meetup in Atlanta, Georgia and having 90 plus people attend. Amazing. Jared's a friend of mine and he moved from Cincinnati to Atlanta. Him and his brother, Andy, and their families moved. And I knew because I visited Jared when I was attending a conference in Atlanta about three months ago. And I knew he was going to get a lot of people because he told me that he inherited a group that was already existing. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've been hosting a meetup in Cincinnati for about a year and a half. And I have 30 people attend Mm -hmm. on a monthly basis. And I've been doing it for a year and a half. And he is hosting his first meetup in Atlanta And he has over 90 people. Now, quality over quantity all day long, right? But let's just assume all the 90 attendees and the meetup is the same quality as the 30 attendees and the meetup. Because that's not the point of that I'm trying to make. The point I'm making is that his first meetup was 90 people. And he just started it. And mine has been 30 and I've been doing it for a year and a half. And the reason how he was able to hack the system, we'll call it a hack, right? Hack the meetup process is because he got in with a larger group already and he was able to inherit that group. Whereas I was creating something from scratch. And there's a lesson here. The lesson is that most of the time we have to put in the work. We have to be consistent. We have to do things on a daily basis And we have to grind it out most of the time. And that's a good long-term approach. But along the way, we should look for opportunities to take shortcuts, strategic shortcuts. 
and identify ways to not wait a year and a half to build your meetup to 30 loyal people, but instead start your own meetup by partnering with a larger one and then taking it over and have 90. So look for ways along the way to develop partnerships to get you to places that you want to go faster. And don't take the sloppy shortcuts where it will cost you money, but when right, take those shortcuts and it will help you get to places faster. And another example of this is when you are a thought leader tying to large distribution channels. For example, if I'm a blogger, if I create my own blog, then I'm talking to myself and Theo and, you know, Jack. Jack. Well, Jack's, yeah, <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jack loves us. <laughs> but if I blog on other websites, like Bigger Pockets, for example, mm-hmm. then I've got a built in audience. Same with iTunes. If I have a podcast, and I just have my microphone and I'm creating a brand new RSS feed, like, hey, subscribe to my RSS feed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of weak. But if I publish it in iTunes, then millions and millions of people have exposure to it. So we have to be intelligent, even though we're grinding it out every day and being consistent with daily actions. We also have to be intelligent and be on the lookout for opportunities to take strategic shortcuts And he really inspired me when I saw him post on Facebook that he had 90 people and it was his first meetup. He really inspired me to to talk Mm -hmm. through that lesson. It's an important lesson. Yeah, I think just to add on to that, it reminds me of a question that that I believe it's Peter Thiel asked himself. He talked about it on the Tim Ferriss podcast, which kind of is essentially what Derek did, which is what can I do to accomplish my 10-year goal, let's say, in Mm -hmm. six months? Yep. And so when you kind of ask a ridiculous question like that, you have to start coming up with equally ridiculous answers. And obviously, they're all not going to work. Maybe you list 100 things out and only one of them happens to make you accomplish your 10-year goal in five years, right? So the goal is not to literally do it. And this though, that's the way I interpret it. I have to literally do it in six months. If you can, it's amazing. But the goal is to start kind of stimulating your mind to start thinking way outside the box of ideas. And so if Jared would have asked himself this question, maybe he did something along that line. He's like, all right, well, how can I accomplish my one-year meetup goal of having 90 people in a month? It's like, okay, well, I can do this, I can do that. It's like, oh, I could just partner with someone. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of goes down that rabbit hole and it ends up working out. Or if you kind of never asked that question, then he might not have ever gotten to that point. So I think we're all about, on this podcast, we talk about, you know, monthly goals or yearly goals or even weekly goals. Maybe add that question into the mix on yep. a monthly basis. Like, what can I do to accomplish my goals for 2017 this month? Mm. I think that's a very powerful question. And then you can kind of iterate based off of that and change it depending on what you're trying to do. How can I accomplish this year's goals this month? I have to think about that. After we get done here, I'm going to ask myself that question. I'm going to think about that. That's a thought-provoking yeah. question. Think about that, best ever listeners. How can you accomplish this year's goals this month? And then just write it out. How about this? How about for next week? How about I'll come with some thoughts on how I can accomplish this year's goals this month? I like it. And you want to do the same? Yeah. Best ever listeners, you do the same exercise. How can you accomplish this year's goals this month? And then let's collaborate on our next call. All right. That's it for today. I hope we're seeing you in Denver, Colorado. 
February 24th, 25th. The code best ever, I think. I think, yeah. think that's the code. That might be still available for a discount. Go to besteverconference.com. If you have any questions about that, just email info, info at joefairless.com, and Samantha will hook you up with all the answers to your questions. We've got a bunch of bigger pockets members who are speaking, and we're not associated by any means with mm-hmm. bigger pockets, but just happen to have a lot of people there who I've met through bigger pockets and have mobile home investors speaking, have a lot of multifamily investors speaking, have my personal business coach, Trevor McGregor. Mm-hmm. He's doing a keynote. and Business and, coach as well. Yeah, Theo's business coach as well, speaking at the conference. Really pumped up about it. BestEverConference.com. Hope to see you there. With that, grateful for our time together. Thank you for spending it with us. Have a best ever weekend. Talk to you soon. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.